We are in week number five, which is our final week of our Check Your Heart series. We've been walking through over the last four weeks a series called Check Your Heart. And uh, if you haven't been here, the main premise of what we've been diving into is that when it comes to a lot of people in their walks with Jesus uh, in the church, out of the church, or wherever they are when it comes to following Jesus, a problem that seems to be happening a lot, and it's not a new problem, it's a problem that's happened for a long time, is that people can become more obsessed with, determined to build and present what's on the outside more than actually what's happening on the inside. It's about, it's about appearing a certain way more than it's about what's actually happening internally, uh, that the external appearance doesn't match the internal reality. And it's something that I've experienced personally. It's something that I've walked through and have seasons of walking through. It's something I see happening in the church all the time, especially with our generation. And we flirt a lot with the gray area. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of, um, there's just a lot of, of, of a cry for like, how, how close to the line can I get without like not being a Christian, but still being a Christian? How much can I, how much can, how much flesh can I have in my life still without, without losing being subscribing, subscribing to my faith? I, I see this, I, I've watched this happen a lot in our, in our generation. And the main text we've been walking through is 1 Corinthians 10, 23, which is going to be up on the screens here. And it says this, that all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. And what we've been kind of breaking down is this idea that, that when it comes to our walks with Jesus, it's not even always a matter of something being wrong. Um, because what Scripture is saying is that, what Paul is saying is that it's not always just that it's a, it's a bad thing. Sometimes it's something that we can live in that's in a gray area. But if it's not something that is stirring our affections up for Jesus, then it can ultimately become a bad thing. It can be ultimately bringing us to a place where we're actually dying and we're not living in what we've been talking about as the main idea is that the point of all this, why we're having this conversation, is because heart transformation is greater than behavior modification. That's, that's the heart. Like, if you're like, what has this series been all about? It's been about heart transformation is greater than behavior modification. But what, what it seems to be like a lot of the time in the church, and this isn't a knock on the church. I want to be clear. I'm, I'm, I'm I'll be real. I... Um, I've gone in and out of seasons of like just like pointing my finger at the church and being like the church is messed up, it's broken, and all these different things and blaming things on the institution. Uh, but the problem is like, duh, it's a broken system and it's a broken institution because it's made up of a bunch of broken people. And I see a lot of people in our generation just being like the church sucks and it hurt me and so I'm out. And I, I get I'm not want to take any any validation away from the things that you've been hurt by, but what I do want to say is like, uh, it's. It's a, it's a reality of the fallen state of our, of our sin nature that we've got broken people that are trying to do this thing and, and they're going to be messed up sometimes. And so, yeah, there's going to be some, some brokenness there. But what, what's been happening a lot, and I think what I see happening in, in the church a lot of the time, is I just want to fix what's on, on the outside and look, what, and look the part rather than actually address what needs to be restored on the inside. God wants to transform your heart and not just change your behavior. So tonight's sermon title is this, Check Your Heart, Check Your Loves. Check Your Heart, Check Your Loves. What shapes your loves in your life will ultimately end up shaping your life. What shapes your loves will ultimately be the thing that shapes your life. And 
This is like just going to be to the point tonight. Jesus wants to take you into a deeper place of stirring your loves up for the things of God. And that's it. Like, that's it. But we sing that song. We're going to sing it again tonight at the end of the message time, the Jesus, we love you song. And sometimes I sing that song or I've, heard, I've been in moments where I sing it and I, I have a hard time singing it because it doesn't necessarily feel like I'm singing truth I, I, or how I'm feeling in the moment. And so, Jesus, we love you. Jesus, you know, all, with all that I have, all of my affection, all my devotion, I pour it out. And I can, it's hard sometimes, I'll be real, because I, I just don't, I don't feel that. You know, I feel like I'm like, Jesus, I love you a little bit right now. Jesus, my life looks like it loves you like half a little bit, but like, and so I've struggled with that in moments. I don't know if you can relate to that, but but what we're going tonight is we're going to talk about what really shapes our loves, because what shapes your love, how your loves are shaped will ultimately shape your life. Mark 12, 30 through 31 is going to be the scripture for the night. And if you have your Bible, I'd love for you to go there just so you can see it with your own eyes in front of you and have a place of you can, you can underline, you can circle. Most of you have heard the scripture before, I'm sure, but if not, it'll be on the, on the screen as well. I'm going to read it. This is Jesus. He sums all of it up in this, this little passage right here. Let me give you some, pre, some context, a couple of verses before. One of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he had answered them well, he asked them to Jesus, which commandment is the most important of all Jesus answered this the most important is this hero Israel the Lord of the Lord our God the Lord is one verse 30 here we go and you shall love if you don't have that underlined or circled or highlighted I do it if you have your Bible with you you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul with all your mind with all your strength the second is this you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Jesus, to the point, breaks it down for the people he was speaking to then and for ultimately us in this room tonight. At the end of the day, what it comes down to is your loves, how you love, how your loves are being shaped. What is shaping your loves the most right now in your life? If you were to peel back, open up a journal, get a blank page and your favorite pen or pencil if you're one of those people. Gosh, just don't understand that. Got a perfect journal. That pencil just like, you got to like really press it into the page to get a good firm, you know what I mean? And then like breaks the lid off and you're like, gosh, what am I even doing? Forget this today. You know, you know just sweet little smooth little pen, just boom. You're opening up a journal. You got some time, just no distractions. And you're able to sit down with the Lord and you're able to be honest with yourself. Man, I, I don't know if you've taken a moment to do that any time recently where you could get in a moment with God and you, you don't have anything that's lobbying for your attention or demanding that you have to be present or engage or be distracted by anything. You can put it away and you sit down with the Lord with an open journal and a, and a ready-to-go pen. No soul. And you, and you audit, you do a self-audit, and you would walk yourself through this question. What is shaping my loves the most right now in my life? What is getting, what gets me the most excited? What do I find myself thinking about the most, dwelling on the most? What do I find myself obsessing about? What is shaping the loves in my life the most right now? 
I think we need to, we need to ask that question uh, frequently and then honestly answer it because if we don't, it, we just begin to just flow into like an osmosis of like just the life just goes and then whatever's the most urgent in front of us begins to dictate and shape our loves rather than what's the most important and what we see a lot in our, and I believe our, our relationships with Jesus is what what's urgent becomes the priority over what's most important and then what that begins to create is a really unhealthy uh, makeup of a relationship with a savior that that you wonder why things are dry, you wonder why things aren't healthy between you and the Lord in, in that way, and it's because you've allowed something else to take the place of shaping your loves. What's shaping your loves the most? Another question that I want to ask and we're going to kind of talk about tonight is how do, we, how do we get our loves shaped by Christ? You know, so if you answer that and you go like, okay, there's a couple other things. I, I, I'm kind of catching your drift and where you're going, Chase. Like, I, I think what you're trying to say is like, maybe my loves are supposed to be shaped more by God, by the things of God, that my affections would be stirred for him. So how? And here's the thing that I, I think I'm, I'm truly going to boil down to one word, but I'm going to try to unpack it. The issue that I've struggled with and that I see a lot of our generation struggling with is, is it what I want to call a, a misconception, the misconception of authenticity. And this is what I, want, this is what I mean. I watch our generation struggle with this problem. I don't feel like following God today. I don't feel like worshiping right now. I don't feel like reading my Bible. I don't feel like God's there. So I don't want to be fake. And so in the name of authenticity, because I'm all about authentic, being an authentic person, I want to be real. And that desire is really good. I think that desire to be authentic is from the heart of God. And I think our generation, more than any other generation, sniffs out authenticity like it's our job. Like we, we can see when someone's being real and when they're not being real. And, and so there becomes the cry of our heart of our generation is authenticity, authenticity, authenticity. A lot of us have been burned by people that get up on a platform and they preach the word of God and then they go have an affair on the side and their whole life blows up and you're like, well, do I even listen to anything that that person said because their life is doesn't match what they preach. And so like we're, we, we want authenticity more than anything. But be real, you know. And so what happens though is here's what I've seen this pendulum swing towards people that follow Jesus is, okay, if I don't feel it, I'm not feeling like getting in God's word today or, or whatever that thing is, then I'm not going to do it because I don't want to be fake. And I want to be an authentic person. And so I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna stand here and I'm not gonna pray. I'm not gonna stand here. I'm not gonna go to church because as of right now, I don't feel like I don't feel like God's even active in my life. I don't want to be, I don't want to be a hypocrite. And what started as a good desire, the cry for authenticity, has become something that has, I believe, for a lot of people, become an obstacle and a, hind and a hindrance to experiencing more of what God has for them. And here's what I mean: just because you don't feel something does not mean that if you operate in that thing or you operate in that principle or you operate, operate in that truth that you are a fake person for leading yourself towards the truth of God, the word of God, the things of God, even when you don't feel it. And what I'm watching is the generation rise up and be like, well, I don't feel it right now, so I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to engage in it. And what I want to say is like that, if you read any of the scriptures or you go through the beginning of Genesis, Genesis to Revelation, you see a bunch of people that, that throughout the scriptures, like 
obviously don't feel it at times. But what, what I'm seeing and what I believe that the Spirit of God wants to speak to our generation more than ever before is like, even when you don't feel it, you can step into it confidently. And what can begin to take place is, is a decision to, to step into it even when you don't feel it, which then turns into a discipline which then after you, just, you decide, it can become something of a discipline. And then when it becomes a discipline, it begins to transform your desires. But what I see happening is, nope, not, if I don't desire it, I'm not going to do it. If my desire is not there, I don't want to be fake and I'm not going to do it. But listen to me, please. What happens more often than, than not is, is, is you and I need to make a decision, which then we, we make the next day. And then the next day, and that decision, a, a discipline is just a decision that's made over and over and over. That becomes a discipline. And then that discipline translates into your desire. You're, you begin to crave it. You begin to go, whoa. Actually, the word of God is feeding me. And it actually is doing something to my heart and to my mind. It actually is pulling me out of my pit of depression and despair. And, and man, it took 30 days but, but what was once a decision that turned into a discipline has now transformed my desires. And what I want to challenge us with, that, that framework of, of decision, discipline, desire, is something that I want to help like release into, into this group to be thinking about and chewing on. Because when it comes to shaping our loves, a lot of us are stuck in this struggle of like, I don't, I don't want to. I don't want it. And I don't want to be fake. So I'm going to wait until God changes my heart. I don't, I don't crave that. I don't want to get in God's word. I don't want to worship. I don't want to pray. I don't want to really believe this. And so until I do want it, I'm not going to do it. I'm, I'm here to tell you tonight, like, maybe you need to start doing it, even if you don't feel it, to a point where it becomes a discipline. And then get ready for the, the spirit of God to turn it into a desire. And then that whole thing cycles through, and you just begin to snowball your way into a healthier spot with the Lord. So I want to, I'm going to make that statement. Um, decision, discipline, desire. Um, but the but the big thing I want to speak on tonight is this idea of decision. So I'm gonna I'm gonna unpack some things on decision. It starts with a decision. How many of you? I, I kind of alluded to it earlier with the coffee question. When you when you think about making decisions, how, how many of you guys uh, would say you? Struggle with making decisions. Anybody in here? Okay. Decent amount of this. I'm a, I, like when it comes to like you get with a group of friends, I'll just give you my personal example with my wife. God bless her. She's pregnant. I got to be careful. Um, so we, be, we, just, we just celebrated seven years of marriage on Saturday. Yeah. Come on, baby. Let's go. I'll tell you what, marriage is awesome. It's really, it's really awesome. And it, it's a, it takes a lot of work. Obviously, y'all hear that, but man, it is worth it. It is so worth it. Um, seven years of marriage, in those seven years of marriage, plus uh, close to 20 months of dating or so, like, not, not, there hasn't been much that's changed around the world of when we get into the car and we're both hungry. <laughs> so my personality as a people pleaser I want to bless people. I want to serve people. I want to to. I want to to them to their happiest dreams, whatever else you want to say there. I want to. I want to make sure. I'm. I'm gonna sit there and I want to. I'm gonna always give the preference. 
you know, but here's the problem when it comes to sitting with my wife trying to figure out where we're going to eat. Like, she's got some preferences as well, but she isn't necessarily, like, communicating them, right? So I'm sitting there. I'm like, okay, so, so listen, I'm, I'm willing to flex. Like, okay, like, we can go to that juicery. Like, I can figure out something there, you know, but she's like, well, no, I don't know, blah, blah, what do you want? And I'm like, I know what I want is not going to be what you want. And you don't have a healthy option to get some food where I'm going to want to get some food right now. So, so you honestly, can you just decide? Because if you decide I can flex around it, I know you're not going to be able to flex. And she just pushes back, pushes back. And so finally, she's like, just can you help make a decision? All right, cool. Yeah, Chick-fil-A. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Always, always and forever. My love. My, that's, <laughs> Chick-fil-A shapes my loves like nothing, nothing else. Some of you know, you know that. You know the dilemma, though. You're with a group of friends. Who wants, to, who wants to go, I don't know, whatever you want, whatever you want. So who wants to, whatever. Decisions. Man, here's something that I see happening a lot. Um, I don't know a lot of people who love making decisions. Some of you are like, I do. <laughs> Got some hands. That's great. Uh, you're rare. And I, I love that. I, I don't, uh, most of the conversations I have in life are with people that are like, I, I'm struggling to make this decision. I don't know what to do. And um, I've, I resonate with that. Some of you that, like, no, I always know what to do. That's awesome. <laughs> I need to hang out with you a little bit more. Um, but I'm actually, I'm going to speak to you. I'm going to speak to that tonight. But this idea of, of making decisions, I want to take us back to the very beginning, Genesis, uh, where I see something that is really beautiful, that God starts, but in the very beginning, before the fall, before sin even entered the picture, the Bible says this in Genesis 1.27. God's, God's speaking and he says, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. I think that's really important for us to just to make sure we hear and remember that like we aren't operating in our own. Like we're, we are image bearers. We are made in the image of God. Every single human being made in the image of God. Right after God creates Adam, here's one of the first things he says in Genesis 2, chapter, or 2 verse 18. He says this, the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Verse 19. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky, and he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. What, so what is God doing here? Everything is perfect. God has created, his, everything is, is moving in the operating system that God has designed it to and what does he do? He presents Adam with an opportunity to decide, to make a bunch of decisions. That's intriguing to me. God commands Adam to give names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, the wild animals on the ground. One of the first gifts that God gives man was the ability to choose. Think about that. He didn't give this freedom to anything else in all of creation but to mankind. And I'm, what, I'm, what I see here is one of God's first demonstrations of his transfer of authority looks like giving Adam the ability to decide. We see this really beautiful thing here of like God's like, listen, you're, you're good. Like this is good. One of the first things I'm going to do here, I'm going to give you the opportunity to make some choices and make a decision. It's a gift that I'm going to give you. It's a beautiful thing that you're going to operate in. It's a responsibility. It's an opportunity. Let us create man in our image and our likeness. 
And then he brought all the animals to Adam and said, now choose, name them. Adam didn't pray about it, didn't read a book, listened to a really sweet podcast. He just made a decision. Cat. <laughs> yeah. Rhino. Like just roll, I mean, just boom, boom, boom. Whatever the original Aramaic, <laughs> potentially Hebrew, I don't know. Holy, who knows what? It's not Greek. I know that's Aramaic or Hebrew, probably, I assume, is one of those bad boys. <laughs> but, so, but, so, but so think about this, this picture here. So why is it that mankind, when it comes to decisions, so many of us hate making decisions? I don't, I don't, I hate making the decision of, of, of where I want to eat, who I'm going to marry, what job I want, what place I'm going to go to school, if I'm going to move or not, if I'm going to go take that opportunity, if I'm going to say yes to this, if I'm going to say no to that. When it comes to making decisions, uh, we, we struggle and we wrestle and like, we like, ah, yeah, somebody else do it for me, please. You just tell me what to do. And, and I think what's happened is the, over the course of time, obviously sin entered the picture and, and a decision was made in that moment that, that created the fall of man that has affected the rest of mankind until this point. But, but I, I really believe that God would be speaking to you tonight, speaking to our generation, and, and his cry for us, for a lot of you, would be like, let my people choose again. Let my people learn how to decide again and walk in that God-given gift and power and authority to confidently step into how God originally designed it for them to make decisions and it be a reflection of the character and the nature of God, that they've got the power to choose and to decide. The opportunity to decide was a, was a God-given gift and a command. And I, I think about this idea, why does this matter? Why is this even a thing I'm talking about tonight? Well, when it comes to stirring up our affections for Jesus, when it comes to shaping our loves, a lot of us, where we're, our breakdown is, is in the it's in the decision world. It's in the decide complex. It's in the decide complication. And so, so that's why I want to talk about it because when I see that in the, in the, in, in the beginning of the scriptures and, and I, I see how God made it a good thing and yet for so many people, it's the worst thing that they can think about. I don't want to make a decision. I get anxiety about this decision. I wake up every single day and I dread that I have to make this decision. And I think God wants to take that back. I think God wants to restore something in, in his children that creates in them a confidence and a security to walk in the gift that he's given us to decide without this, this, this like crazy, like crippling fear and anxiety that everything that you might be able to choose is going to turn out to be something that's bad or wrong or broken so what, what wars against decisions in our lives? What wars against you making decisions? I'm going to talk about just, just three things that I think I see, at least in me. And, and then we're going to take some time tonight and, and get in God's presence and, and wrestle with some stuff. The, what wars against decisions, decision making in our lives? I think the first thing I see is uh, decision fear. It is the fear of making decisions. Like what if... Um, what I decide isn't what God has for me. I remember thinking about this when I was when I was dating Holly. There was a 
there was a there was a season where like I wrestled with the like what if it's not her? Like what if I'm blowing a big mistake in the water of my life by continuing to stay in this relationship? Like what if what if I mess this up? <laughs> what I mean I I think fear, decision fear is real. I think decision fear is something that a lot of people would say they might struggle with. Uh, but we what we know from from scripture from scripture is that God doesn't give it give us a spirit of fear. I mean God gives us a spirit of of power, of a sound mind, of self-control. As Paul writes to Timothy, it's it's something the complete opposite and yet a lot of us operate like we are dominated by a spirit of fear, bless you. You're welcome, Jay. Decision fear is a real thing, and yet it's not something that God has created you to have. It's not something that creates anything healthy in you. And But it is one of the things that I think wars against us, is that fear. Um, am I going to make a, a wrong decision? What if... I misheard God's voice. What if, like, the rest of my life uh, goes the wrong way because I went to the wrong place? You know, I think I thought about my example of moving up to Olympia. I mean, there was so much fear in me when God began to stir in Holly and I's heart about a transition from where we were in Modesto. Um, A lot of my fear came from just letting people down. So a lot of my decisions that I've struggled to make have come from, like, who am I going to fail and let down? (laughs) Like, I just don't. My parents, my pastors, my friends, my whatever. Some of you might relate with that. Like, so decisions for you are crippling because you, you're thinking of the ripple effect and the implications of all of the people that are going to be impacted positively or negatively. And so, like, I'd rather somebody else make the decision because I don't want to have to, like, you know, going back to the silly example of the food thing, just, this going to sound so, so dumb, but, like, for, for me in my marriage, and this is something that Holly and I have been working out, still are working out in our own marriage, a lot of that fear of deciding wasn't because I didn't have an opinion. I knew I wanted to go. But it was the fear that if what I decided didn't end up being something that would make her happy, that I would be rejected. I didn't want to make a decision because I didn't ultimately want to feel rejected. I think some people land land in that spot. Like, I don't want to decide because if I let my parents down, then they're not going to love me or be proud of me. or. And so I'd just rather just keep, I'd rather just stay here. I'd rather just stay at this job. I'd rather just stay in this spot. I'm not going to decide to move. I'm not going to decide to take a step of faith. I'm not going to decide because, man, I, don't, I can't fathom the thought of letting them, failing them in that way. Decision fear. I think the next thing, the wars against decision in our lives is decision fatigue. This is that, like, I don't, I have to make decisions all the time. I'm so done with making decisions, I'm not going to make any more decisions. <laughs> some of you, part of your jobs, part of your, I mean, some of you in school, you really get this, right? So you're like, I have to make decisions so much that when it comes to some, like, important ones, you're just like, I'm not checking out on that. Like, I'm, I got some insane decision fatigue. I I'm, it cripples it cripples you because you're like I'm so I I just there's too many options there's too many like I just can't I don't know where to go to school because there's 17 schools I can go to I don't know where I should work because I it's just I'm making all these decisions I can't make any more decisions decision fatigue I think wars against 
our ability to confidently make decisions. And the last thing that I, I see war against our decisions is decision failure. You know, because I've made some really bad decisions in my life. You know, I have made some decisions that have failed. And I think this, this one is ultimately what we see as the ripple effect from the fall when Adam and Eve decided to not heed the instruction of the Lord in the garden, but allow the temptation and the whisper of the enemy to override the word that God had spoken. And they made a, they made a bad decision that made a pretty, pretty decent-sized impact on the rest of humanity. And for some of us, when it comes to decisions, we don't have a good taste in our mouth because we are scarred from a decision that we've made that wasn't a good decision and it put us in a place that we did not like or it hurt or it, it did not happen like we hoped or wanted it to. And so now when we think about making decisions, all we can think of is PTSD of that decision and we, we're like, nope, I'm not doing that again. I have I, I messed that up so much. I ruined that relationship. I ruined that opportunity. I've blown it so big. I I'm not making a decision like that again. So what I'm gonna do is I'm just gonna take baby steps after baby steps after baby steps and not make any big decisions because I don't want to experience what I experienced before. I'm gonna invite the, the worship team back up as we wrap up here. In the lie that the enemy speaks to us, and I think is 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 potentially speaking to some of you still in this room tonight, is that because you've made a decision in your past that was maybe a failure of a decision, that you're going to continue to make decisions that fail. The enemy's lying to some of you in this place tonight, whispering into your ear, because you've made a decision in the past that has failed, you're going to keep making them because that's who you are. That's false. Some of you need to know, like, the enemy's got your ear, and it's time to lock that down tonight. Because you've made a, a, a bad decision in the past, because you've made a decision that cost something, because you made a decision that you feel like you can't get back, because you said something, because you did something, you looked at something, you operated in some way outside of whatever maybe you thought God had for your life, whatever, the enemy's going to constantly be back in your ear like, yep, yeah, you remember that? That's just what's going to happen again, so you better stay where you are. Will you guys help me bring the lights down just a little bit too because I want to just get ready to go back into worship. So, okay, Chase, man, I want my loves to be stirred up and my affections to be stirred up for the things they've got. I really do struggle with decisions. I've made some bad ones. They affect the way I think about it. Cool. So What? Where do I go and what do I do and how can I do something about it right here and right now? And here's the good news for us tonight. And this is going to be the good news for you tomorrow morning and the good news for you tomorrow night and then the good news for you again Saturday morning and so on and so on and so on. The good news is that Jesus has the power to redeem our decisions. Jesus has the power to redeem your decisions. 
the ones that you feel like you've failed in or you've messed up, the ones that you have not made or you feel like I, I can't do it. Like the, the, the nature of our Savior is, is a redemptive nature. And because of what he decided to do, because of the way that the Father decided to send him to the earth on a rescue mission from heaven, and that Jesus decided to willingly lay his life down and surrender it, giving it up as a ransom for many, for all, that that decision trumps ultimate over every bad decision that you and I have made, are making, will make. Jesus has the power to redeem your decisions. And he's the only one that can. And the only one who does. And so I'm going to point you to him tonight. I'm going to point you to the only one who always made the right decision and then decided to lay his life down for you and I because he knew we would make some, some wrong ones. And because of the way the system of sin and holiness works, something had to be done. A sacrifice had to be made, an ultimate sacrifice where pure blood was shed to cover that sin, to forgive fully, to pay in full for it to be restored and redeemed. And Jesus did it. Some of you don't think God can, can do that in your life. Some of you think you've done something or you've been in a place so far, so deep that Jesus' power is like, it's there, but it's faint. And some of you think like, I got to clean myself up so much before Jesus can really fix what's going on here. False. Man, it's a lie from the enemy. No way. Jesus has the power tonight to just reach into where you are and pull you out, set you on a solid rock, which is himself, and say, like, nope, forgiven and giving you a fresh start tonight because of what I've decided and what I've done for you. So he has the power to redeem. Also, Jesus gives us the opportunity to make new decisions. And this is where a lot of us are going to sit tonight. Some of, you need, some of you may need to get excited about making decisions again. My prayer is that you would leave here tonight and go, I've got some decisions I need to make. And no longer do I'm going to look at them and be like, oh, I don't want to do that. I'm going to just keep doing this until I have to, I'm forced to do it. But, but man, but you look at that decision coming down the line or that's right in front of your face and you'd be like, no, Jesus is in me. Jesus has redeemed me. Jesus has got a future for me. He's got the best for my life. I'm building my life on him. He ultimately is giving me an opportunity right now to make a new decision out of a fresh place of my identity in him and not in my past. So tonight, what decisions have you made that you need Jesus to forgive or redeem or both? What decision do you need to make that you've been dreading or delaying to make? I'm telling you, when we walk in the God-given authority and power that he's given us to make a decision, all of a sudden you will start to see that decision transfer into disciplines, that transfer into desires, and your life will begin to step into the fullness of what God has for you. Your heart and your loves will begin to be shaped by the gospel, by your Savior. And look out when that happens for you in your life. Unstoppable decision-making machine 
that God uses for his glory to reach people, to love him with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Let's pray. take a moment I want you to I want you to take a moment to think about those two questions at the end there what decision do you need tonight what decisions do you need Jesus to forgive or redeem or both or what decision do you need to make that you've been delaying or dreading to make let's think about that for a moment let's respond to Jesus in this place I'm gonna pray and after I pray, I want to invite you to, to stand. We're going to worship just to this song one more time before the night's over. And as worship is happening, I've got some of our <clears throat> um, leaders that I want to just be available to pray for you. And so if you're one of our, our court leaders or one of our adult leaders, adult, adult leaders, if you will, want to be available they're going to be in the back because some of you just know like man i need to i need somebody just to pray with pray with me for this decision this is a tough decision i'm having to make and i just need someone to pray for me so i'm going to make that opportunity available to you too so as i pray we're going to we're going to get into worship and then we're going to pray with each other so father tonight thank you for jesus thank you for deciding god to love us enough <laughs> to send your only son on a rescue mission from heaven to live a life perfect, sinless, without fault, making every decision right. Ultimately, God, to lay that life down so that we can be adopted into your family by saying yes to receiving that gift of salvation that only can come through him. So Lord, help us tonight where we are. You know where we are. Speak to us. I pray you speak to each heart in this place. That you would stir up our affections for you, our devotion for you, our love for you. And that where we are struggling in this world of decision, Holy Spirit, move and speak mightily in this place. In Jesus' name.